Hi, I'm Allie. You're about to listen to a special episode of How's Things. While we're not doing How's Things regularly anymore, some of these specials will continue to show up here in this feed. But you can listen to our new bi-weekly podcast, But Have You Tried?, anywhere you get your podcasts at our But Have You Tried feed. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for tuning in to this special episode of How's Things, a podcast from the David A. Howe Public Library, recorded right here in Wellsville, New York. Uh, we're winding down Poetry Month right now, and so I've got Malika Costa back with me to talk a little bit of poetry. Malik, welcome. Good afternoon, sir. <laughs> How are you? Pleasure to be here. <laughs> poetry Good. Month again. I absolutely. It's a tradition. It. Yes. We have to do it. It is. We covered a tradition. Uh, so we have some specific works that we're going to be talking about today, but I wanted to ask you a little bit, Malik, about the poetry workshop that you and Daphne led here at the library. It looked like we had a good turnout, and I heard a lot of good things about it. Can you tell us a little bit about how that went? Yes, yes. The greatest part was the people that was there really participated. That's great. Um, and uh, Mangles was there. And okay. And she's an English teacher. Uh-huh. Rachel? Yeah. Yeah. So she kind of you know, was running us through um, teaching some of the people how to act, even start a poem. Oh, okay. Um, and then these poems called hi- haiku, haiku yeah. poems. So it's just basically one line. So a lot of people started practicing. One of my neighbors actually showed up. And now oh, every wow. time I see him, he's like, man, I'm writing in it. Oh, that's great. He's he coming out with his book. Okay, <laughs> okay. So he's ready for the slam um, tomorrow. So the, Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's right. So what's your role in the slam? I'm just just per, maybe, you know, observing. Okay, participating. participating sure. Yeah. So in the workshop, did you actually, like, did you see samples of people's work? Or it was just more about sort of like how you start in the in the creation in general? Yeah, we, we, we basically just ran over how to actually start writing. Okay. Um, nobody didn't really share anything. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess everybody kind of holding, you know, holding yeah. the good stuff back for the slam. Yeah. So, yeah, we uh, we just kind of learn how to start yeah. writing poems. And well, that's I mean, that's I feel like with anything, it's like you just have to start, you know, whether it, it. <laughs> whether it's like cleaning out a garage or writing a poem, that's like it. you have to start, you know, and that's like it. once that sometimes that's the hardest part, it you is. know, it's just always to like, the hardest. Part. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. The hardest part It's it's like starting is the hardest part. And then finishing is kind of a challenge. Okay. Too, yeah. yeah. Well, what about you in general? Like, what's what's your writing output been like lately? Have you been working on a lot of stuff? Or uh, I haven't actually been writing a okay. lot. I know you um, kind of ebb and flow. It's like sometimes it's right. all you do, and other times you kind of step back from <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't yeah. really been writing a lot. Sometimes I'll write something, and it'll just satisfy that hunger to write. Yeah. Because I'll be so proud of the actual work. Mm-hmm. And last year, um, some of the stuff I wrote. I kind of just wanted to dwell on that, yeah. you know, and, and try to maybe revamp and, and create some more some some more stuff because I'm I'm really working on incorporating more rhymes, okay, r- rhyme schemes into my poetry just to give it a little more spice. You yeah, know, people, you know, it, it grabs people's attention a little more. Sure. Yeah. Do you often revisit old work? Like, are you are you kind of going back to the drawing board on things you finished and polishing and changing regularly? Is oh, that yes. a thing? That's part yes. of it. Okay. Oh yeah, that's always a part of it. Okay. Some some of the stuff I might have recited to you. Mm-hmm. Might have been stuff from ten years ago. Okay, that just got revamped. Yeah, like sometimes if like for the slam, I'm yeah. going through a lot of old stuff and okay. I'm seeing if there's anything in there that I think might fit or you know people might like. So. Yeah, 
Yeah. Cool. Well, that's yeah. great. I'm, I'm looking forward to the slam. I hope it all goes well. Yes. Uh, and we've got some good books to talk about here today. Uh, uh, one you brought to my attention, American Sunrise, uh, poems by Joe Harrow. Not something that I had, I wasn't aware of it, but I was really glad to have read it. So I'm looking forward to discussing that. Beautiful. Beautiful. And then we have a classic novel in verse, Me Moth by Amber McBride, which uh, I remember it was a Goodreads Choice Awards nominee for poetry. So I've seen that one kicking around. Okay. And it was kind of nice to have two different uh, sort of ends of the spectrum as yes. far as like what you do with poetry. So yes, yes. let's get into all that in a minute. But first, let's open up our books and see where our bookmarks are at. I know you've been reading poetry, obviously, but have you been reading anything recently that's been good last couple of months? Um, Last couple of months, I've kind of been more into the poetry and maybe watching some shows okay. and, and stuff like All that. All right. Yeah, a couple series. Yeah, I know. It's uh, Sometimes I, I'll go through like a little bit of a reading drought. I've been trying to like read a bunch of different random things at the moment. When I'm in a drought, I try to read something familiar. So I read a Star Trek book. I read, it's called uh, Die Standing by Josh Jackson Miller. It's set in the uh, Discovery world. Have you watched that one at all, Star Trek Discovery? I have. Okay. I have. It's not my favorite. Right. And the book was just okay. okay. I, I didn't love it, but you know, whatever. Uh, it was it was an easy breezy read, which was nice. I picked up a book of poetry called About the House by W.H. Auden, which was decent. Have you read him before? No. Okay. Yeah, it was fine. It didn't really uh, move me. You know what I mean? I was like, yeah, it's, that's technically good. But there was none that I was like, I want to cut this out of the book, <laughs> stick it on the wall. I, I feel like that's hard to yeah. find with poetry. Yeah. You know? And then I'm currently reading one called The Last Policeman. It's by Ben Winters. And this is kind of, it's more a mystery than sci-fi. But the premise is there's an asteroid that's coming to hit Earth. And so everybody's kind of given up. You know, it's sort of like this is inevitable. Uh, and so The Last Policeman is a story about a guy who finds a specific uh, a, a suicide but he thinks it's murder and he decides he's just going to investigate it anyway even though the world is about to end <laughs> so it's kind of a cool yes. premise and it the world that he's operating in everybody's so blase and just like why are you even bothering who cares right. who cares where was murder end. we're all going to be dead so whatever <laughs> So I'm liking that. I'm I'm in the early stages of it, but it's good. And then I'm uh, I'm reading a, a Batman comic by Ed Brubaker, which is pretty good. It's a uh, it's older and it's a different style. Ed Brubaker's more known for his Marvel work. He wrote Captain America for a long time. So kind of interesting to see him do some DC work. So you said you've been kind of on a reading drought. I have, yeah. So what would you consider a reading drought? Like how many books in a year do you think you average? Hmm. It really fluctuates from year to year. I used to pretty regularly would read like at least three books a month and then a couple of graphic novels. And I, I don't know. I don't I don't think I'm up to that level. And it's more just some sort of like, I don't know, like the time that I would normally read, I'm just sort of like exhausted or something. And okay. so like I don't so do it. 20, 30 books, about 30 a year. Yeah. That, yeah. I mean, that's probably still more than that. I guess I maybe just, okay. maybe it's a. Cause to me, that's still a lot. Yeah. That's that's why. I, <laughs> and, and the reason I asked you is because you was like, I'm on a reading drought. And then when you said what you was reading, you named four books. <laughs> I'm like, okay. okay. All right. That's fair. <laughs> maybe it's just like mentally, I feel, you know, it's not, it's not that, the same Because you're a heavy reader. That's, that's yes. really the point I'm yes. making. Okay. You, that's you, true. You so may, maybe it is just more like mental or emotional where I feel like I'm just like not in the zone. I'm not like pounding through right. things like I normally would. And I'm gravitating more towards easy things rather than trying to read something like super dense and challenging. So maybe yeah, I was about it. to say it take a lot of brain power to read <laughs> four books at the same time and remember them all. <laughs> <laughs> what's uh i know you read a lot of self-help and stuff uh oh, what's yes. 
what's uh, what's what's something that you've read you know in the last year or so that you felt like was really impactful or interesting the last book self help because that's kind of all I read but the last yeah. one I did read that really had an impact on me was uh, it was called Perfect Time to Boss Up okay and it's by actually it's by an artist okay uh, um, a hip hop artist his name is Rick Ross mm-hmm. and it's basically just about the pandemic. And pivoting because he he's an entrepreneur, so he was talking about just how to pivot and make different business deals yeah. and, and maneuver around, even okay. though we couldn't go outside or even though people wasn't, yeah, you know, the world was. Oh, I, oh I remember, but, yeah. But a lot of people <laughs> used that opportunity to become even richer, yeah. Um, and that's basically what that book was about, just like not letting nothing stop you. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I, it was just so inspiring to me yeah. when I was yeah. reading. Yeah, it sounds like a it would lot be of encouraging. stories. Uh, he has a mansion in Atlanta. It's the biggest, has the biggest swimming pool in the world. I mean, <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, really? I'm sorry, in the United States. Okay, okay. It has the biggest swimming pool, yeah, in Atlanta. It's, uh, it was Vander Holyfield's house. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. So he was just talking about how, you know, he was, you know, doing stuff with the property yeah. and, and turning that into a business, mm-hmm. you know? So, mm-hmm. yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. No, that does sound interesting. Uh, speaking of Evander Holyfield and boxing, I just watched Creed 3. Have you watched other Creed I movies? I have. Yeah. What did you think? I, I liked it. Yeah. I liked it. Yeah, I thought it was pretty solid. Uh, I I mean, I like all the Rocky movies, and and I've really enjoyed Creed's one and two, and I rewatched the the first two because I hadn't seen them kind of since they came out. So I rewatched them in the last couple Me of too. months, and I really like Creed two. I feel yeah. like that's my favorite. Oh, of, it is of the trilogy. I, I was just about to say because I'm such a movie buff, yeah. and Rocky is probably in my top three of all time. Yeah. It's um, it's pretty great movie. Series, yeah. movies or franchise. I could feel because I've been watching it for so long. I could feel the absence of Stallone in like, three. I could I know. in three. It was just stuff that was even in in the storyline that just it didn't fit right mm-hmm. like it should have. No, and, and they didn't Stallone, they, you could just feel that. You know? I know, yeah. and they referenced they referenced like the Rocky Creed fights and everything, but there was never any even just a one line explanation about where Rocky was. Right, so it wasn't. I know that really was kind of a. It was hard to get over. Yeah. To not yeah. have it. And, and I, I'm trying not to be biased. Like maybe you just holding on to the past so much because it's, yeah. it's rocky and it's the rest of Stallone. Yeah. And it needs maybe something new. But at the same time, it's like it w- it's always worked. Yeah. <laughs> so well, you know, and and even down, it's it's a great movie. Yeah. Um, but I could still just feel that. I know. Well, I think I think what it is, a part of it is just nostalgia, of course. But I think Creed's one and two also established Rocky as like a really influential figure in Adonis's life. So right. even within the narrative of just the Creed movies, like Rocky is a key supporting player. Right. And so to just have him absent, especially when like some you know, no spoilers, but some big events happen in his life where like right. obviously Rocky should have been there right. for those things to not. Because Creed 2 ends with Rocky sort of reconnecting with his son. And even if there was a line about, like, he's with his family and we don't want to pull him into all this or whatever, would have helped me just get over, like, the absence. But I think that and a couple other things about it, I would probably rate it as my least favorite of the Creed movies. I would probably put it at number two. I would probably go with the second one. Yeah. The third one, and then the first yeah. one. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's fair. It still was a good movie. Like yeah. I had a great time with it. I love Definitely. Michael B. Jordan. Definitely. Impressive that he also directed it, which was yes, cool. Yes. Yes. You know, yes. which is obviously something Sylvester Stallone did with some of the originals. So. Right. Right. Uh, yeah. yeah neat and I think all he did a great job. It's a good movie. Yeah, I agree. What else are you watching these days? 
Um, I've been watching. So uh, I've been watching for the last couple of years. I've been watching this series called The Last Kingdom. Yeah. Um, it's and that's it's basically about uh, England mm-hmm. um, back when when it was Saxon mm-hmm. and against Viking. Yeah. Um, and Seven Kingdom is is basically uh, the whole series is about five seasons and and now it's a movie called the seven kingdoms so oh, basically okay. after everything in a series happens okay it's like this big conclusion mm-hmm. big climax conclusion mm-hmm. so it was that's, that's really good and then i've been watching uh on hulu wu-tang saga oh okay uh, it's basically about a hip-hop group that came out in the 90s yeah, yeah. and did really big things and, so it's like a documentary uh no it's not a doc it's actually like a, a series about their life oh like a, like a, oh okay yeah, interesting yeah. Yeah, okay it's, it's, it's pretty it's, it's very creative yeah yeah oh, that yeah, sounds cool creative stuff going and there's a lot of karate and mm-hmm. chinese culture and mm-hmm. you know okay Clans, sure so, sure yeah yeah that sounds cool and then obviously i just finished the last uh mandalorian season yeah which i enjoyed i did too that, that was really good yeah, yeah really i good. i agree i i felt like the finale was a little anticlimactic just in it felt kind of similar to last year's like with right. the fighting the same villain and everything i was right. a little like i was hoping for sort of a big end surprise and i Maybe that's just on me, but I yeah. really enjoyed the whole season yeah. as a whole. I thought it was really good. Yeah. Uh, I just watched Mad Max Fury Road for the first time. Have really? you ever seen that? The one with uh, like, Charlie Stanley? Yeah, Tom oh, Hardy. Yeah, yeah. That's really good. I know. It was. It was. I was visiting my friend Eric, and he loves that movie, and he's tried to get me to watch it a million times. And yeah. they're like, I don't want to watch a two-hour car chase. That's, <laughs> that's fine. No, thank so you. So much more to it. I know. No, it is. And so we finally sat down and watched it, and it is. it's very impressive visually mm-hmm. and you know it's a great story and i think it is pretty heavy with car chase but like the depth i think they do like mm-hmm. with the, with the character explorations and everything right. in those confines was really impressive and yeah i'd watch more i haven't seen any of the classic like tina turner oh, no? like oh, mel yeah, gibson I, I have, no yeah. are they good oh yes really like okay. uh, that's that would be like if you wanted to, you know, watch a movie, a couple movie franchise, that would be something you would yeah. definitely enjoy. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, maybe I'll give it a shot. Were you ever, this is the stupidest thing I watched, but were you ever a Power Rangers fan? Yes. Back in the day, were you? Yes. Yes. Okay. I was like, when it first hit, you know, I probably watched the first couple of seasons and they just did this 30th anniversary. Yes. Power Rangers once and always. Did you see it? I did. <laughs> It's so corny. It is. (laughs) (laughs) Just like I was, I was always like, I kept looking at the date. Like this is twenty twenty three. I know, I know. It it looked just like the one. Really did. From it really did. Yeah. It was entertaining. It was. I know. That's the thing that I really appreciated about it because the story is basically Billy and Zach from the originals get Rocky and Cat, who are sort of like replacement Power Rangers, and they have to go and like you know fight rita repulsa again yes and i guess it just did exactly what i wanted it to do and it was just like a new episode of classic power rangers yeah. like it didn't try to do anything grand right you know it was a cool like 55 minutes right of just pure nostalgia and, right. and jumping around fighting and stuff i had a good time with it oh yeah definitely and didn't yeah. to see the you know the um the original characters yeah still be able to move like that. yeah they, they look, looked they pretty look good too great. yeah i thought yeah zach, zach in particular dancing yes and, and we got some dance at the fights same time. yeah like, oh yeah oh yeah yeah okay <laughs> all right took me back yes for sure that's exactly what it did well i'm glad you i'm glad you liked it because <laughs> i did too 
<laughs> All right. Well, why don't we move into some book news here? Look into the future to see what it proves. It's time for book news. Here is the New York Times hardcover fiction list from April 30th, 2023. Here we go. Number 10, Homecoming by Kate Morton. An unemployed journalist connects events in a true crime book which detail a long-buried murder in 1959 in South Australia to her own family. Interesting. All right. A little cold case action. I like that. Did you ever watch that show, Cold Case? Yes. Back in the day? Yeah, it was good. Watched, yeah, it was good. That's one uh, that's like the music rights are so crazy. That's why you can't watch it on DVD or like streaming or anything because it was all filled with like classic rock songs and right. stuff. You know, the rights. <laughs> oh, we'll never yeah. see the light of day. Uh, number nine, Things I Wish I Told My Mother by Susan Patterson and Susan DeLalo and James Patterson. Wow. It's a family affair. Secrets and hopes get unpacked when a mother and daughter vacation together in Paris. Number eight, two weeks on the list here, romantic comedy by Curtis Sittenfeld. A late night show sketch writer may become involved with a pop music sensation who is a guest host. Okay. Number seven, new this week, Lassiter by J.R. Ward. The 21st, wow, 21st book in the Black Dagger Brotherhood series, A Fallen Angel Meets a Mysterious Female. These J.R. Ward books are always huge yes. and remain pretty popular. Yeah. People still checking these out. Those story li- those kind of storylines, you can just go on forever. Yeah. It's, it's, it's like a black hole. Yeah, yeah. It really is. Yeah. yeah, and once you start, I think you get sucked right in right. like a black hole. Number six, three weeks on the list, Hang the Moon by Jeanette Walls. Oh, Jeanette Walls wrote uh, The Glass Castle, which is a nonfiction book. Uh, we did it for a book club years ago, and I loved it. It was so good. And there's a movie with Brie Larson, which is also good. But I, I haven't read her fiction here, so let's, let's see what this is about. Hang the moon. Nine years after being cast out, a young woman returns to reclaim her place in her family and comes into her own as a bootlegger. That's a twist. I didn't see that coming. Number five, 29 weeks on the list. This one I've been seeing lots of places. I need to read it. Uh, maybe I'll get over my drought, and I'll... I'll, I'll read this serious <laughs> book. Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow by Gabrielle Zeven. Two friends find their partnership challenged in the world of video game designs. But I think that's like an alternate universe kind of story. I think it's sort of like sci-fi-esque. So I don't know. It, it looks cool. Number four, five weeks on the list, House Beautiful by Anne Napolitano. And an homage to Louisa May Alcott's Little Women. Oh, I hate Little Women. Did you? I mean, I like the, the show? I like the the movie. You know, I like the movie, but we read that book for a book club, and that was a slog to get through. Really? So maybe this would be better. In an homage to Louisa May Alcott's Little Women, a young man's dark past resurfaces as he gets to know the family of his college sweetheart. Number three, new this week, The Only Survivors by Megan Miranda. Death and trouble loom over a reunion, marking ten years since tragedy befell a group of high school seniors. Okay, that sounds like a Netflix series in the making. Number two, 42 weeks on the list. That's almost a year. Lessons in Chemistry by Bonnie Garmus, a scientist and single mother living in California in the 1960s, becomes a TV star on a cooking show. And number one, new this week, Dark Angel by John Sanford. People love John Sanford. The second book in the Letty Davenport series, Letty takes an undercover assignment that puts her in harm's way with a group of hackers. None of those really spoke to me. Did any of those sound interesting to you? Mm, not that much. Dark, yeah. Maybe the Dark Angel. That's something I might. Oh, you're the because, J.R. Ward. You're gonna get on the J.R. Ward train? Yeah, just because um, I, I'm a little familiar with that with that storyline. Okay. Um. So. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, there's there's so many of them. So obviously, it's working for a lot of people. Oh yes. All right. Well, let's uh, let's get into our poetry month spotlight. <laughs> Thank you. 
So we've got two books today that we're going to be covering. The first that we're going to be talking about is called Me Moth. This is by Amber McBride. Here's a little background on Amber McBride from her website. Amber McBride received her Bachelor's of Arts in English from James Madison University in 2010 and acquired her MFA in Poetry from Emerson College in 2012. She's taught English composition, English literature, and introduction to poetry at James Madison University, Strayer University, and Northern Virginia Community College. She currently teaches at the University of Virginia. And this book was a 2021 Goodreads Choice Awards Poetry nominee. Um, I hadn't read this author before. Were you familiar with her at all? No, I wasn't. But I, had... I, I was familiar with her, but I hadn't read okay. any of her work yet. Yeah, I, I've seen, particularly Me Moth, I've seen kicking around a lot. Here is the publisher's synopsis for this book. Moth has lost her family in an accident. Though she lives with her aunt, she feels alone and uprooted until she meets Sani, a boy who's also searching for his roots. If he knows more about where he comes from, maybe he'll be able to understand his ongoing depression. And if Moth can help him feel grounded, then perhaps she too will discover the history she carries in her bones. Moth and Sani take a road trip that has them chasing ghosts and searching for ancestors. The way each moves forward is surprising, (laughs) I'll say, powerful and unforgettable. Here is an exquisite and uplifting novel about identity, first love, and the ways that our memories and our roots steer us through the universe. So the synopsis here kind of tells you that it's surprising, powerful, and unforgettable. And there are elements of this that we'll have to spoil. So we'll give a spoiler notice before we get there. Yes. But uh, So tell me what you think. We've, we've read some of these novels in verse before, but this, this was a decidedly different tone than ones we've covered before. What did you think? I liked it. It kind of reminded me of that last story that we was reading with the baseball player. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. Fast pitch. Fast pitch. Yeah. Um, it's it just that ancestry piece. Yeah, yeah. Um, just kind of reminded me of that. A lot of these African-American authors, they write about ancestry a lot. Yeah. And, and that's something I'm just not used to reading mm-hmm. um, as an African-American yeah. man myself. Yeah. Um, so it's just been really enlightening for me to just kind of been re- reading about that yeah. and, and just learning more about the belief systems they had sure. in the early 1900s. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, that was a that was an interesting piece to it. Just like in Fast Pitch, I mean, having that, it's not really a multi-generational story in the sense that we're not seeing all these things play out. But I think their interest in the past and how the past sort of informs the way that they're moving forward. Yes. And particularly with Moth dealing with this loss, you know, I think that's pulling at a need for roots and a need to go back and everything. I think that plays out as, a, you know, a compelling part of the story that pushes the narrative forward while right. she's kind of looking back, right. you know. So I, I will say, I mean, let's let's just get into the spoiler part of it right now. So if you're going to read Me Moth and you don't want to be spoiled, you're going to have to like skip ahead or something because <laughs> we have to get here. Their relationship, Moth and Sani, Sani yeah. it starts in a pretty traditional way, I think. And as it goes a little farther, you start to kind of wonder like, what is going on with these two? Like, what is the missing piece that we're not seeing here? Because... I don't know really when it switches, but it felt along the way that you could kind of sense that something was atypical, right? Did you right. get that? Yes, I did. I yeah. did. I did. I think maybe I didn't really pick up on that kind of weirdness until yeah. I it was like hindsight. Once yeah. I looked back, then I kind of started to realize like, yeah. oh, that's why, you know, I was a little mysterious, yeah. but I wasn't really sure what the twist was going to be. Right, so. right. And here we go for a spoiler alert one more time. Spoilers! Spoilers! <laughs> Moth is dead. Yes. She is a she's a dead character and we're seeing 
you know, we hear about this accident where she lost her family and everything, and you sort of come to learn that she was part of that, and, and Sani is kind of the one who is seeing her manifest and everything. Because right. I think it's not presented like this is, uh, you know, an emotional or a psychological thing that's happening. It's a true ghost story right? that, that we're reading here, don't you think? Yeah. I yes, mean, I think that's... Definitely, yeah. yeah. And when he sort of finally has has enough and and calls her on it and it's like i cannot live life like with you that was a real shocking moment for me yeah it really was yeah because well i didn't did you see it coming i didn't see it coming um i guess i just i i felt like that would have to be okay how he felt in the end yeah i i didn't really see him being able to really look at it any other way yeah yeah, oh, I I just didn't know that that that, that was going to be the reveal, and I think what's so clever about it, and what's so good in the right, like it made me want to go back and read the book again to look yes. for clues. Oh yes, because it was shocking, and that I didn't see it coming, but not shocking in a way that was like, well, that makes no sense. I don't buy that. Like it was still a believable turn. Yes, you know, which I think oh, yes. is kind of tricky. So I, after I realized what was really happening, I went back mm. and read a little bit. Okay. Because that, I do that a lot, like even with a, with movies sometimes. That's mm-hmm. why I, I really love psychological thrillers yeah. and stuff like that. Because once I get the plot, sometimes I'll have to just go back a little bit because I might have missed something that I can see a little more clearly. Yeah. And yeah, when I when I went back, I did really start to see all those signs. Yeah. Well, it's definitely there, and it's just it's layered in a way that like you you understand the reveal when it happens, but you're not like, all right, come on, we know what's going on. You know, it wasn't like that at all. I've really enjoyed these novels in verse that we've read. Like, I think the first one we did was Kwame Alexander's. It was the crossover. The crossover. Right? Yes. Yeah. And then I read Rebound, and I read a couple of his other right. ones. And then the Jason and then Reynolds we've just one. Been hooked ever I since. know. <laughs> The Jason Reynolds one we did, Long Way Down, was a much deeper kind of, you know, psychological, like upsetting kind of story. Kind of like this one. Kind of like this one, yeah. And then Poet X, and I feel like there's another one in there. But I see why, like, it works so well for YA because it doesn't feel, it doesn't read like a short story to me. You know, it feels like you're reading a novel, but, you know, because it's in verse, like, you're moving through it more quickly. I think... Uh, this book, it's presented like the format of the poems is presented differently based on like the emotion that's coming across. Right. So it would be sort of like, you know, scattered words on a page or just different different little things with that, which I know is standard. But like I always, since I don't read a ton of poetry, it's right. it's always I like I appreciate the visual element of of it. Yeah. You know, I think that's really nice, and I think that the style really suited this. Oh yes, yes. And I, I just think it's so much, like you said, easier to consume. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why it works so so yeah. well for YA. It's so much easier to consume. And it, it doesn't make you feel like you're tearing layers mm-hmm. off. It, it, it's it's kind of revealed almost like you get in a little bit as you read. Yeah. You know, so you're not just pulling mm-hmm. layers off trying to get to the end. Yeah. You know? Well, and I think it's too, it's such a good bridge into reading more poetry because like, it, you know, it is like they, they are poems and they, a lot of them I think would stand alone. If you pulled them out of the yes. book and just read it, it would function as a standalone poem, which is great. But I think that like, if you said to whoever, somebody who doesn't want to read poetry, like here, read this book of poems, they'd be like, no, <laughs> you know, but if you were like, read this novel, it's, it's written in a poetry style, they would be right. like, okay, you right. know, and then Definitely. that kind of like, 
you know, so I think I think there's a lot of value in it, uh, not just in the story, but in what it can do to like expand people's right. style of books that they're willing to read. Yes. So. Yes, and anything that's encouraging people to read, you know, we all for it. Mm-hmm. I think even if you know, even if we've spoiled it for you and you haven't read it, I don't think like knowing that that's where it goes is going to affect your enjoyment of the book because I think. If you go in knowing what you're dealing with, and there are hints, I mean, it's kind of presented as a ghost story. I think if you go in knowing what you're expecting, you're going to pick out a lot of little things that maybe you and I missed because we didn't know, you know, we weren't looking for it. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, I say two thumbs up. I liked it quite a bit. Yes, me too. I had one more thing I wanted to ask Uh, you. Yes. Do you, I don't know if you noticed this or not, but so on that road trip, they had a playlist. Uh huh. So it was a playlist in the back of the book. Oh, I didn't even look. Of songs. Okay. Which is the actual inspiration. She used these songs. She made this playlist as she wrote this book. She only took her three month, three and a half months to write this book. Wow. And this playlist in the back of the book, you, you can listen to it. The songs okay. and the artists is listed out. It's the inspiration behind everything. And Wow, no, I totally missed that. I totally missed it. Yeah, that's, okay. that's the soundtrack to, to the road trip that they Okay, yeah. so that's it's, really cool. So it's a soundtrack to Discovery. Yeah. yeah. No, that's great. So that's that's Amber McBride's uh, Me Moth. So it's just in yeah. the back of the book. Yes, it's in the back of okay. the book. Okay, yeah. cool. Yeah, good point. Uh, do you want to tell, talk a little bit about um, the book that you picked for uh, our, our traditional like a book of poems? American Sunrise? Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Um, so uh, basically it's a poem about Native Americans mm-hmm. from 1830 when President Andrew Jackson signed the Indian Removal Act. And um, so the book is just poems, basically stories of misplaced people yeah. traveling. Yeah, and the what what made me really gravitate to this book is because when I was first reading it, the poetry wasn't really amazing to me or anything, mm. but it was very relatable. Just in the sense that I've moved around a lot in my life, always moving around. Yeah. Um. So a lot of the things that they were feeling as they were moving along, um, I could relate. Uh, to that stuff because I was always moving and I was always the new guy. Okay. And, you know, I was always misplaced. So those feelings are a heavy burden to carry. Yeah. Uh, but the optimism that I, I do get from these poems um, in American Sunrise is the love you have amongst each other. Yeah. Your, your family, your tribe, you know, just sticking together and, and trying to get through anything. Yeah. You know, but that that's the most important part, Not not letting the struggle break you and stress you to the point where you forget what's really important mm-hmm. you know which mm-hmm. is family and sticking together and working through it yeah you know and i, I just got a lot of inspiration from the camaraderie and the, and the working together yeah and the all, love yeah absolutely and and i think you hit it early on when you said relatable because that was that was my first reaction yeah. too because you know these experiences are not my experiences you know like but she had a way to kind of make the universal truths in there. Like you said, camaraderie and love and perseverance. Like those were really, those really jumped off the page to me, which oh, yes. I think, you know, it was, it was an interesting read. And I appreciated the history that, cause it would be, you know, like a, a slew of poems and then we'd get like a, a couple paragraphs of the history, right. uh, which I thought was, was really good overall. Even maps. Yeah. Maps. Um, yeah. And that just, just looking at that, like, I'm very uh, visual in my yeah, head, so sure. just uh, imagining traveling that distance yeah. um, without the resources you need, you yeah. know, it, it's just um, 
it was a rough time. It was a rough time. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, let me tell you a little bit about the author here. Joy Haro is an internationally renowned performer and writer of the Muscogee Nation. She served three terms as the 23rd Poet Laureate of the United States from 2019 to 2022 and is winner of Yale's 2023 Bolin Prize for American Poetry. She's the author of 10 books of poetry and has produced seven award-winning albums of her music. Uh, and this book that we're talking about today in American Sunrise, here is the information from her website. In the early 1800s, the Muscogee people were forcibly removed from their original lands east of the Mississippi to Indian Territory, which is now part of Oklahoma. 200 years later, Joy Haro returns to her family's lands and opens a dialogue with history. In An American Sunrise, Haro finds blessing in the abundance of her homeland and confronts the site where her people and other indigenous families essentially disappeared. From her memory of her mother's death to her beginnings in the Native Rights Movement to the fresh road with her beloved, Haro's personal life intertwines with tribal histories to create space for renewed beginnings. Her poems sing of beauty and survival, illuminating a spirituality that connects her to her ancestors and thrums with the quiet anger of living in the ruins of injustice. A descendant of storytellers and one of our finest and most complicated poems, according to the Los Angeles Review of Books. Joy Haro continues her legacy with this latest powerful collection. Yeah, and that lays it all out well, because like I was saying, that history element, you know, her own personal connection to it, springing out from talk of her mother's death. And I think in that way, it kind of relates to the first book we were talking about, because they both sort of share that looking into the past and drawing strength from ancestry and origins and everything. So they both, even though they're, they're vastly different books that we looked at today, some of the core, I think, overlaps. Oh, you yes. Know? That, that's, you know, Nick, that, that is so powerful and so important, that ancestry piece. Yeah. I even think in my life and myself, um, I don't really know too much about my ancestors. Yeah. But every now and then when I'm really struggling and life is heavy, sometimes I'll draw from the past and I'll say, my mother worked so hard mm-hmm. to, to do this for me, to get me here, to keep me alive, to feed you know, I, I owe it to her yeah. to keep, to stay strong, to mm-hmm. keep moving forward. Mm-hmm. And I can imagine if I actually had real stories of people that's in my family that yeah. did great things. Yeah. Like you could literally, once you had that information, you could draw straight from it. Yeah. Like in times of need, when mm-hmm. you feel like giving up, when you just feel like you just can't take no more. Yeah. You at your wits in. Yeah. That's the kind of stuff that'll keep you going. Yeah. Yeah. You know, just thinking about like my own life and my own background you know my my for generations my family had very young parents and so when i was a kid my grandparents were all alive and and three out of four sets of my great-grandparents were alive so like you know my dad's grandparents were alive uh for a long time and in fact my son was i think three when my great-grandma died so he spent time with his great-great grandmother you know which is i know i have pictures of them together and it just blows my mind like the generations that keep them apart and particularly with my with my dad's mother's mother she and i had a close relationship you know and i i spent a lot of time with her and thinking you know as we're talking here today like i don't know her parents names you know what i mean like i don't really know the generation before her even you know i i don't know anything about them you know, and like that's that's something that I think about from time to time. Like I had all those years, you know, where I could have asked questions and I could have figured that out. And I didn't because it didn't occur to me, right. you know, and now I think that would be cool to know. It would it be would. it would be, you know, a fascinating piece to look back at, like, you know, where my roots really come from when I just don't know the answer. Right. You know, yeah, I, 
I feel like our culture is shifting to where it's the perception is starting to feel like that's not important. Yeah. And I, I feel like they, you know, they push it out there as a fad, mm-hmm. you know, 20, 23 and me. Like, yeah, okay, let me. Yeah. But, you know, a lot of people don't really the newer generation, the younger millennials, mm-hmm. they don't, you know, they don't really think that's something that's important mm-hmm. that they need to pursue it or they or they information that they need to have. Yeah. Um, and I just think that's an experience. Yeah. Once you get a little experience in your life, you start realizing you need every yeah. bit of information well, you, you could have. Yeah. And I think that's so cyclical, too, because I think like, you know, again, when I was a kid, like, you know, my grandparents or my great grandparents, it was kind of like, you know, the family Bible would have that register of like <laughs> births and deaths right. and everything. And that was just like all the information was right there. And then like the generations right after that, like the generations before me, like directly before me. You know, there's not a lot of like saving that kind of information. Exactly. And now it sort of feels like it, it just keeps going back and forth. We're like, no, this is important. Nah, it doesn't matter. Right. You know, and now with everything getting digital, I know. It's like maybe that's the new app. Yeah. It was something I know. like that that's going to keep all that together at like a photo album. Yeah. Like, you know, I'm sure they have some stuff out there like yeah. that. Yeah. But it's not like really big. Like people, like, we have to save this information mm-hmm. for the next generation, mm-hmm. you know? So. Yeah. Well, and it's it's also, it's changed so much too. Like, you just I, what you're saying is, is exactly right. Like, the digital aspect of it makes it so much easier. My son's name is Weston, and that was my great grandfather's. Uh, middle name and it was a west is a name in my wife's family as well so we liked it because it kind of was honoring both families and when i was trying to look up like spellings and things i googled like i and found gravestones of like my great great grandparents and stuff like that and was able to kind of piece together you know weston was my great grandfather's mother's maiden name and that was like a whole branch of family i don't even know anything about you know and so the fact that you can just kind of like sit at your computer and find some of that information is is such a game changer and you're right things like 23andme and ancestry.com feels a little bit like a fad you know at times but you know i have friends who did that who submitted like dna and stuff and had this really powerful experience where they're like connecting with living you know what second or third cousins or whatever and piecing together things uh, about their past that you know they didn't know at all so yeah, yeah i i think it's i think it's really interesting and i think i think you see the pull maybe more more strongly in in the books that we read today because both both are written by people from marginalized communities right. in, in that marginalization goes back generations in the case of joy harho going back to the trail of tears you know which right. is one of the most awful things in in american history yes so I think that the pull of those roots and familiarity maybe pops a little bit more in books like this because of such a dark history. Yes. You know? And the conversation we having right now, I think my awakening just to understand how important this is, is just from reading this yeah. kind of material. Yeah. You know, just seeing that, that, that real connection people have with their past. Yeah. Um, even to the point, this even scientifically, I always say I know people personally that's never met they father mm-hmm. that i've met they father like mm. younger younger people yeah and they just like them yeah it, it, that's wild almost everything they do and they never yeah. was around each other mm-hmm. that just shows me how strong dna yeah. really is true 
You know, True. it's all information. You yeah. Know, it, it traveled through blood. Mm-hmm. You know, so. No, that's a great point. And I think, I think particularly with American Sunrise, that's a, that's a lot of what encouraged right. the author to really do this. Definitely. Like, you know, Definitely. feeling that pull of her roots and her that's family. That's what I mean. You know? It's almost yeah. like they kind of whispering to you. And, yeah. And now she's wrote this great book of information and stories mm-hmm. that we, you know, maybe thought we would never hear. But yeah. Because she was tapping into who she was, who she is through her ancestry. Yeah. Now we have this. Yeah. Know? It's a thought provoking collection. I mean, obviously, the, just the, the language and the writing is good. But I found those historical elements, you know, as we had sort of like an interlude where we talk a little bit about the history of what you see playing out in the poetry and then diving back into traditional poetry, I felt like really made it for a cohesive read. And yeah, you're right. Relatable and approachable, yes. you know. So, I, you know, I, as somebody who doesn't read a ton of poetry uh, outside of every April where you and I hang out, <laughs> um, I think both of these are, Great. you know, I, I would recommend and I, I feel I could recommend them to somebody who was like, ah, I don't want to read poetry. And I think they would find something in it. I would definitely uh, agree. And I would say, people, poetry is, is, is freedom. Yeah. Um, if, if you see, it's, it's, it's giving a voice to, you know, people that don't have a voice. Mm-hmm. It's definitely just a, a a great way to be heard. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and those experiences that you share, a lot of people don't want to share those experiences for whatever reason. Sure. But those experiences actually help other people. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. you know, write, yeah. writing poetry and writing your feelings is is a great thing. Yeah, yeah. No, that's well said, and that's uh, a really important point. Uh, both both of these books we have right here in the collection, so you can come and check them out anytime. As Malik mentioned, we have a poetry slam this year, so if you're listening and it's too late for that, uh, we're hoping to make that an annual thing, and yes, you know you, you can participate anytime. Uh, and we do other poetry things throughout the year, but these are this is the month where we really focus on it, and I think it's been a a pretty active poetry month yes. already, you know, yes. and I, the, the, the big display that we have, we have to keep replacing. So a lot, <laughs> a lot of stuff's getting checked out yes. and everything. So I think people are, are in the mood. Yes. You know? and, so and, and this is, I would say this year, since I've been here, this five years, um, this year is the most poetry, uh, checkouts that we've had. I think you're right. You know? Yeah. So, so I think you're is, right. I, I feel like it's definitely catching on. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah, because I feel like it used to be we'd make that poetry display and then we were pretty much good for the month because right. no one was going to check any of it out. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah. And, oh, poetry? poetry. Uh, pass. <laughs> but no, not this year. We have yes. to keep replacing it. Yes. So anyway, Malik, always great to have you on. Thank I, you. I Thank always you. love our conversations. Well, uh, that's going to do it for this week's episode. Remember, you can follow Allie and I over on But Have You Tried in the new feed. Uh, next in this feed, it's going to be Star Wars Day. And so... Amanda Smith and I are going to be crossing over with this Endorian life, and we're going to be talking about The Princess and the Scoundrel by Beth Revis. So you can read along with that and listen wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Malik, see you next time. Thank you for having me. Pleasure. So long. Thank you.